Good morning, everyone. I'm Sally Harding. I'm married to Clive. We're the pastors here at Harvest Church, along with a great leadership team. And I'm going to be continuing our series this morning on impacts, where we're looking at the book of Acts. And my title this morning is Five a Day. Five a Day. So let's just remind ourselves of a few things about Acts before we really get into the passage today. Um, Acts was written by Luke, as in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you know, that Luke there. Acts was written by him, and Luke was actually a, a doctor by background before he began to follow Jesus. And so he had quite a scientific way of looking at things. He was quite precise. So when we read his accounts of things, they're pretty accurate and detailed. For example, in Acts, you remember Paul went on his journey to Rome and he was shipwrecked and he ended up on the island of Malta. Well, uh, naval historians have looked at those accounts and found that they're really pretty accurate in every detail. He couldn't have made up those details and had it all so exact. So we can be confident in what Luke writes to us in the book of Acts. And the other interesting thing about Luke, which I didn't actually realize until I read about it a little bit, is that he is the only writer in the entire Bible who was a Gentile. He's the only writer who was not a Jew by background. So he wrote uh, the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts, which he addresses to a person called Theophilus that we assume is like a government official. And so Luke gets the job of telling us how the gospel began to spread from like the sacred capital of the world at the time, which was Jerusalem, to the secular capital of the world at the time, which was Rome. And so Luke describes how the gospel begins to spread out across the world. And so the book of Acts is a really important book for us to look at and understand too. And at the start of Acts, Luke reminds us that he's already written one of the Gospels. And he says he wrote it, do you remember, he says, about everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving his apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. So we could say that Acts is really kind of Luke chapter 2, you know, Luke volume 2, if you want. But the big, massive difference between Luke And Acts is this, Jesus has a change of body. Jesus changes his body. In Luke, Jesus is physically present on the earth, fully man, fully God, uh, walking around with his followers and doing the miracles that we see. But by the time we get to Acts, he's gone up into heaven, and now he's continuing to work through another body, which is us, his church. He's changed his body. Yeah, I think that deserves an amen. So Jesus is now working through a different body, which is you and you and you. He's working through his church here on earth. That's how he intends it to And how on earth are we going to carry on doing the work that Jesus did? Well, the answer we heard the other week is through the power 
of the Holy Spirit. And Acts tells us that when people, ordinary people like you and me, are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be able to do the same things that Jesus did and even greater things, as in there are more of us. We should be able to do more than Jesus did even because there are more of us walking around on this earth with the Holy Spirit's power inside of us. We're here to continue Jesus' mission on earth. Say to the person next to you, you have a mission. You have a mission. You have a purpose. You are not just here to sit around or to do whatever takes your fancy to do. You have a purpose. Your life has purpose. And the book of Acts tells us all about how the brand new church went about this mission. Oh, I'm going to have to stop. Sorry. She's tiptoeing in at the back. I should point out that's my grandchild in that pram, so I have a special interest in this matter. Okay, well, the passage that we're going to specifically look at today starts at the end of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers to give them power to witness. Now, I was looking into this word witness, because we sort of talk about it a lot in Christian jargon, don't we? Have you witnessed to anybody? Have you had witness this and witness witness what does it actually mean to witness to somebody well it actually means that the holy spirit will give us power to convince people about the truth of what we know of jesus that's what it means to witness okay it means to be able to convince people about the truth of what we know about the lord jesus so witnessing It's not just telling people you go to church. That's quite a good thing to do. But please don't think that you've had a really great witness to someone just because you told them that you go to church. Because actually they don't really know much about church probably and they think pews and stained glass windows and they don't really get what you're talking about anyway. But if you want to tell them you go to church, that's fine. That's good. Invite them along and they can see for themselves. Um, You know, it it doesn't mean just sort of dropping in a little, "Oh, oh, I'll pray for you or something like that. It means having the power of the Spirit to convince people, to convince people that Jesus is alive and that he wants to be involved in their life and for them to come to know him as Lord and Savior. Amen? Okay, so we're at that point uh, at the end of his sermon uh, to the crowd on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 new believers get swept into the church that up till then had only 120 people in it. There were just 120 people in the upper room after Jesus died, still following him, waiting there for the Holy Spirit to come. And then we get 3,000 people suddenly in the church. Imagine that if 3,000 people came and joined our church in one day. Wow. It would be wonderful. And it would also give us some challenges as well, wouldn't it? Right, let's read the passage that I want to look at today then. It's Acts chapter 2, verses 40 to 47. We'll get that up on the screen here for you. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. Just saying, Peter preached for a long time. Anyway, um, I I won't say anything else. Uh, Strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that 
day, about 3,000 in all, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So let's just pray for us all right now and ask God to speak to us through this passage. Lord, I thank you that this account is given to us of the brand new baby church in the book of Acts, how they did church, how they lived together, how they ministered to you, and how they grew. Lord, I pray you'll open our ears, open our minds, and touch our hearts today to hear something in this scripture that's powerful to change our lives. Amen? Amen. So uh, if we want to know how to do church, this is the blueprint. And I'm going to actually work backward through this passage. And today, I want to look at five results that we see in the early church. And then next week, we're going to do part two, and we're going to look at five actions or five things the early church did and five attitudes they had when they did those actions. Because this is a whole package. We need the attitude, the actions, and the results to see Uh, what the early church saw happening among them. But we're going to start today with the results, kind of to whet our appetite for how we might like to be and how we would want to be as uh, the church of Jesus today. But first of all, before we look at the five results, I want to point out a few really important phrases in this passage. Well, two really important phrases in this passage. And the first one is this. All, all, all the believers. Say that after me. All the believers. Okay. This wasn't just about the leaders. Everyone was involved. They were all taking part in what happened. They all did these things. And listen, we want to be a church of all. All as well. That's how we want to be. And if you're part of this church, if you're part of this group of believers, you need to know that we are an all church. And if you don't want to be part of an all church, this is the moment to escape. Because we're an all church. And it doesn't matter if you're sat on the left or the right or the front or the back or up on the balcony or even if you're listening to me out in the foyer. doesn't matter. Or if you're behind the sound desk. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Nathan. We are an all church. All the believers. And the second phrase is this. Each day. That happens several times in this passage too. Each day. And I'm sure I'm preaching to the converted here when I say that church is not 
a Sunday morning exercise. The church is us. We're the church. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Now, we meet on a Sunday morning together to be encouraged, to worship, to pray, to receive teaching, really to be provoked to go out and do the mission of Jesus the rest of the week. So we meet in here to go out there the rest of the week. And church is actually an each day thing. These are just bricks around here that you're looking at. And if you want to think of it like this, we've started trying to think of it as this is our training center. This is just the church building. It's where we train each other to go out there and do the mission of Jesus. We're the church. The church is made up out of living stones built into a body of people to do the work that Jesus has commissioned us to do. Amen? So say, all each day. Got that? Give me a wave. If you don't wave, I'm going to just come and preach straight to you. (laughs) Wave quick. Joe Tate, wave. Right. (laughs) Okay. All each day. And that kind of undergirds everything else that I'm going to say today about these five results that the early church saw. So what are the five results that the church saw? They saw... You might even get it on the screen. They saw signs and wonders. They saw provision. They saw goodwill. And they saw growth. Signs, wonders, provision, goodwill, and growth. So we're going to go through those now and look at them. And I've actually been a bit sneaky and sort of bunched one and two together. I put the signs and wonders together because they kind of go together. A bit like we say tithes and offerings, except that they're not the same thing. But anyhow, we put signs and wonders together. I guess if you want to define them... Signs are signs and wonders are both supernatural things. Signs point you to Jesus and, and wonders are things that he does. So a sign, like think about when the sky went dark when he was on the cross, something like that. That's a sign. Or when the bright light appeared when Saul of Tarsus was on his horse. That's a sign. And a, a wonder might be a healing or when someone is raised from the dead or when someone receives something miraculous or some supernatural provision from God, that kind of thing. Yeah? So signs and wonders are both supernatural. They're things that we couldn't do on our own without the power of God. They couldn't just happen. And the church here saw signs and wonders regularly. Now, whether we see them regularly or not, that's what God intends for us. That's what he wants for us. And it's not for, I don't believe it's through any lack of desire on God's part, if you like, um, Signs and wonders are supernatural happenings, and we know that Jesus intended all his followers to see supernatural things, not just the apostles in this passage in the book of Acts. Jesus says in John 14, I truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. They will do the works I have been doing. And uh, if you want to think something about how you could perhaps begin to think about this in your own life, take a look at the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. There's lots of scope there, lots of ways that the Holy Spirit can use each one of us. And here's the thing, God is always ready to flow through us. He's always ready to use us in the gifts of the Spirit. He doesn't just kind of do it two till four on Mondays and six till eight on Fridays or even just on a Sunday morning. He is always, always ready and willing to use you and me to 
have the Holy Spirit flow through our lives and impact other people. And in the early church, signs and wonders were one of the uh, most significant, important things that drew people into the church. People saw signs and wonders. And today, a lot of people say, well, I, I don't believe in God. And one of the reasons they give is there's no evidence. Well, signs and wonders are evidence. And so whatever God does for you in your life, whether you think it's amazingly supernatural or if it's just God has answered a prayer, tell people your story because that's what people want to hear. They want to hear real things where God has done something in your life. So the gifts of the Spirit are there. Uh, God is always ready. There's no on-off switch with God. And I guess the only um, issue really is, are we ready? God's always ready. Are we ready? Do we, do you, I don't know about you, do you even think that the Holy Spirit might want to use you to speak to someone when you're at the supermarket or the school gate or the bus or in the university library or wherever you're mostly hanging out? We can be very timid. You know, we offer to pray for us. Oh, I'll pray for you. Have you ever said that to anyone? Oh, I'll pray for you. Why not pray for them there and then? Why not say, let's just pray right now. Let's ask God to come and make a difference in your life right now. And I, I think we would probably be surprised at what happens. Do you remember when the disciples in the book of Acts were all praying for Peter to be released from prison? And God does this miracle, this supernatural sign and wonder, and the earthquake comes, and the jail opens, and Peter escapes. And he goes back to the house where they're all meeting, knocks on the door. And when the servant girl opens the door, she can't believe it's Peter. She thinks it must be a ghost because he's in prison. So she slams the door in his face (laughs) and leaves him on the doorstep when she'd just been praying with the others that he would be released from jail. (laughs) So sometimes God surprises us by answering our prayers. But listen, let's pray and let's pray for other people and let's expect God to use us. Remember, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Let me ask you something then. Have a think Can you think of a time when either, I don't know, when you were studying or when you were working or some situation where you had to do something in the course of your studies or work that really you were scared to do, that you were really nervous about doing, but you had to do it because it was part of your job? There's some noddings going on. Anyone want to offer anything? It's got to be legal, decent and honest. (laughs) Okay. So, when we were re- when Carrie was saying when we were refurbishing this room, she took on the task of sorting all the lighting out, and she felt really kind of like, I'm going to be responsible for all of this if everyone doesn't like it. And she felt she didn't know what she was doing. But then, look, you did really well. Thank you, Karis. Anyone else? Paul. <laughs> Did you hear that? Paul's a builder and he's saying how he has to take out walls and he's always a bit worried the whole house might follow. 
No, and, and you get more confident, don't you? I, I think for me, it would be, those of you that know me, I, I was a nurse by background, and so there's that awful moment when you get to the end of training school and they sort of let you practice on oranges and pigs with that little sharp pointy needle thing, you know, uh, pigs, dead pigs, you know. And then suddenly comes the time when you have to actually inflict that upon a human being, and I remember this. It was my first ever injection I had to give to someone, and it was a really big guy. He must have been 25 stone. And he'd convert, oh, this is not a good story for Sunday morning, really, but hey, he'd converted to Islam, so he'd had to have some surgery on a part, delicate part of himself, and he was in a lot of pain and wishing he hadn't converted to Islam, I think, but anyway, he wanted an injection for this pain, and so I was the lucky person that had to go and give him the injection. It was kind of like... <laughs> <laughs> I promise you, I, see, I had to do it. I could not escape it. I had to do it. I knew I had to learn to give injections. And, of course, uh, the more you do it, the better you get at it. And, you know, just line up afterwards. I'm quite good at it now, I promise. And uh, I think, Karen, you're probably the only one that's received an injection at my hand in the room. But anyway, um, I got quite good at it. But the point is, I pro- if I hadn't had to do that, I probably would never have overcome that and become skilled in it. And the problem, if there is a problem with the gifts of the Spirit, is we don't have to use them. We don't have to use them because we can get by in life without using the gifts of the Spirit. We can connect with other people without using the gifts of the Spirit. So we don't overcome that apprehension or that whatever it is that holds us back enough to get confidence in doing that. And so it's a challenge to us today. Have a think about that. Listen, I don't want to ever be comfortable using the gifts of the Spirit because I want to rely on Jesus. I want to always have that little bit of, oh, Holy Spirit, you've got to show up for me here. This better be right, what I'm feeling, this word of knowledge I've got for somebody. But I do want to get more confident. Amen? We don't want to be comfortable, but we do want to be confident. Do you remember last week? Uh, ben was telling us a story about Jane and Adam, and they had decided to spend uh, one evening every week going down into town to the monuments to witness to people. And so they felt that would be a more powerful thing if they asked the Holy Spirit to speak to them and give them words of knowledge for people. And you heard the story last week how uh, God spoke to Jane. Well, then the next week they went downtown and she prayed again and she said, God, will you give me a picture of someone that you want me to connect with today? And she felt in her mind's eye, she saw a picture of a woman with long dark hair and a fringe and the word anxiety came to her. So she wrote it in her phone. That's a great idea. And so uh, she went down into town and they were speaking to people and asking people if they had any faith and so on and so forth. And then she sees the woman with the fringe and the long dark hair (laughs) sitting on a bench. So then you start thinking, oh, what if it's the right person? What if it's the wrong person? At that moment, you've got to just say, well, why would God have given me that if I wasn't going to say anything to her? You know, God, if you're going to sit on the sofa eating crisps and watching whatever's on on a Wednesday night, what is it? It's not Bake Off, is it? That's Tuesday What's on Wednesdays? Well, if you're going to... See, now I'm going to find out who watches TV on a Wednesday night, because you're all going to know what's on. So um, anyway, whatever's on on a Wednesday night, if you're going to just sit there and watch that and eat crisps, God is not going to give you a word of knowledge about a woman with dark hair and a fringe to go and tell her that he wants to really set her free from her anxiety issues. But because they asked God for that and went with that attitude... God spoke to them, and sure enough, that lady had problems with anxiety in her life and was staggered that Jane would know that. Well, Jane didn't know that. The Holy Spirit told Jane that. Where's Jane? 
there you are. Look, go and get Jane to pray for you and tell you how this works in her life. And she would testify that this week they went downtown again, but they didn't have time to pray before they went. And so, lo and behold, they didn't get a word of knowledge and they didn't speak to anyone. (laughs) That's just to tell you that, you know, we're all human. But how powerful to be able to show someone what you've written in your phone that God has told you. Say, look, God told me about you. He knows you. He cares for you. It's a powerful thing. So the signs and wonders and the gifts of the Spirit are a, a great thing to expect among us as Jesus' church. We don't want to be comfortable, but we do want to be confident. We don't want to be superficial. We want to be supernatural. Amen? Say to the person next to you, I don't want to be superficial. I want to be supernatural. You said it. See what will happen this week. Okay, so five results in the early church. Number one, signs. Number two, wonders. Number three, provision. The believers in the early church saw the provision of God in their lives. We read here that they shared with one another whatever they had, and they even sold assets that they possessed to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. Now, this is not as some people might presume, some form of early communism, okay? (laughs) It's not. Communism is a totally different philosophy. Communism, you have a dictator who makes you do something. We get to do this by choice. (laughs) And communism, you're all supposed to be equal, but no one's equal really. You know that, don't you? (laughs) If you've ever been to any uh, communist nations or ex-communist nations, it's not an equal society at all. But as Christians, we get a choice, and we're generous out of choice. It is a heart response. Now, does this mean, I can see you all getting nervous, that we have to go home and put our houses on the market and just sort of put it all into the big pot at church and share everything? (laughs) Oh, there was an amen there, if anyone's listening to this on a recording. Well, actually... I don't think it means that. This is the only place in the New Testament where you see them actually doing it like that. But I do think all through the New Testament, we see believers as characterized by generous giving. But these were pretty unusual circumstances that we just read about. Um, Jerusalem would normally have about 30,000 people in its population in the time of Jesus. But when there was a big religious festival like the Passover, people came to Jerusalem to gather for that festival. And so at the time of the Passover, the population of Jerusalem was more likely to have been about 90,000 or even more. Hugely swollen population. And suddenly, 3,000 of them get swept into the new church, and they all want to stay around and be part of that and hear uh, the apostles' teaching and be part of that fellowship of believers. And they didn't have anywhere to live or any means of support. And so the church had to pull together to support those 3,000 new believers in that way. It was a pretty unusual time. That, you know, there, there was no government benefits to help them. They had to help each other. And actually, when they gave, they gave generously to help each other. So here's the thought. If you want to give to Oxfam or something like that, you know, great. But don't do that before you make sure that the person who's sitting next to you in church on Sunday is okay. Because you always see the generous giving in the New Testament is actually toward the believers and believers in need and so on. 
So um, think about that. We, Clive and I, many years ago, we had a young guy who came to a church and um, he, was, uh, he read that parable in the Bible where Jesus tells the rich uh, young ruler to go and sell everything he has as a sort of test of that guy's heart, really, because Jesus always picked exactly the right issue to, to challenge people with. But this guy read that and thought, oh, that must mean I have to go and sell everything I have. So he went and sold everything he had. Um, even his bed, like everything. He gave it all to CND, if any of you remember what CND was even. (laughs) The campaign for nuclear disarmament, it was big when we all thought we were going to be sort of bombed any moment. Anyway, he sold everything and gave his money to that charity and then turned up on our door and said, okay, now look after me, please, (laughs) because I've given it all away. What are you going to do for me now? So it was a little bit misguided there. Let's say some, tell you some things that we've learned about giving over the years, because it is important, and we do want to be generous. And actually, this is one of the most generous churches I've ever been a part of. But we've learned, always honour God first with your tithe. Put him first. It's a financial principle. And if you're not giving to God, you haven't really got the money to give to anyone else. In fact, if you're not giving a tithe to God, I'm just going to whisper this, haven't really got the money to spend on yourself because it's not yours until you give God that first tenth and when you've done that then you can choose what you do with all the rest that God gives you so freely so we want to be generous but let's honor God first and then we can choose what we do with the rest of our money the next thing I would say is find out the facts find out the facts, because there's genuine need versus a little bit of irresponsibility sometimes, because someone might have no money for their groceries, but then you find on Monday they've got no money for their groceries for the week, but you find that perhaps they've been out clubbing all weekend. Mm. Well, it's not that we won't help people in genuine need when they've made a bad choice, but actually you want to stop the cause of the problem, not just sort of keep feeding the problem. Because money problems are rarely just money problems. There's nearly always something behind it. So yes, we want to be generous. Yes, we want to bless people. But we want to help people to to establish a good financial basis and to solve whatever problem is underneath and behind that need. Amen? You, You hearing my heart in that? Okay. So we pay our tithe. We find out the facts. And the third thing I would say is, if you want to bless other people, give anonymously where you can. It's not always possible, I know, especially if you're giving them, you know, your dining table or something. It's a bit hard to give them that anonymously because they know it was yours and you've given it them. I hope you like it, Owen. Anyway. (laughs) Um, But um, seriously, you know, we, we want to be thanked, but God will thank you. God will bless you. And sometimes it can put something on people to know that you've given them, a, given them money. They feel like they sort of are beholden to you or that they owe you something. So if you want to bless someone with some money, stick it through their door in an envelope or put it in the offering with their name on it and it will get to them, I promise. And so that's a great way of not making someone feel beholden to you. And I, it, it doesn't work for everything, but it's a good general principle when we're giving. Now, By the way, you do give to people in need and to one another. You just might not be aware of it. Because every year as a church, we set 
a budget, and part of that budget includes uh, a pot of money to help people who have uh, unforeseen situations in their life or needs that they've not been able to anticipate or save for. And so we do help people. You've helped people. You've helped people with food parcels. You've helped people pay their rent. You've helped people make journeys to visit sick relatives that they didn't anticipate having to make. You've helped people all over the place. You just didn't quite know it. And I want to tell you that and thank you for that. And the only thing we ask is that people will be transparent with their finances so that we can help them for their future uh, to, to manage that. So thank you all for all the ways in which you help. Okay, so in the new church, I'm not going to call it early church because that sounds a bit like some sort of, I don't know, prototype that matured over the years, and I think this is the best original church. So let's say in the new church, we see signs, we see wonders, we see God's provision, and fourthly, we see goodwill toward the believers. And this tells us that people looked up to the Christians. They may not have agreed with them, and they may not have liked them. In fact, they persecuted them a lot of the time, but they did respect them, however grudgingly, and admire their lifestyle. That's what it means when it says they enjoyed goodwill amongst all the people. People respected the way they lived and admired their lifestyle. And what do you think uh, they saw as attractive in the new believers? That is a, it's not rhetorical. You can answer. <laughs> Confidence. Friendship. Dedication, peace, love, faith, happiness. They worked together. Well, changed lives. They saw signs and wonders. I've already told you that. That was a big clue. They saw signs and wonders. They, do you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira who misled the apostles and actually died as a result of it? Well, if you saw that happen, you would be kind of like, oh my goodness, I respect these guys. (laughs) I'm I'm not going to sort of pull the wool over their eyes. So they saw signs and wonders. They saw God's provision. They saw a passion in these new believers. They did see love and generosity towards others. They saw families and lives in order and in peace. Now, listen, if our lives are a mess, or our homes, or our student room, or wherever it is that you put your head down to sleep is a mess, how is that attractive to non-believers? If we're always overdrawn, and oh, how's that attractive to unbelievers? They don't want to follow that lifestyle. If we're always moaning or complaining about things, we're always arguing, we're always the negative one at the party, how is that attractive to unbelievers? Gosh, it's gone so quiet. I feel I'm the only one here. I'm preaching to myself. Okay, I'm preaching to myself. Listen, if we don't, I'm going to say it, if we don't look after our physical appearance, how is that attractive to unbelievers. Why do you think they would want to be like you? Now, I'm not 
please hear me because I say things on this stage sometimes and it's like the blooming press. You get quoted one little bit that you didn't mean like what you said it. And so I'm not saying, okay, I am not saying we've all got to have some kind of Miami beach body and wear designer clothes. I'm not saying that at all. Thank the Lord. Anyway, I'm kind of saying, you know, if we, if we don't wash our hair or we have BO or our breath smells a little nasty or, you know, or... <laughs> Okay, if we don't wash our hair, we have a bit of... <laughs> do, you, do you see what I'm saying? If we don't look after ourselves, how is that attractive to anyone else? Why would they want... Everyone's passing the mints around now. I can see it happening. <laughs> hey, look, I'm just trying to be real with you. I'm not... Please, hear me right on this, won't you? We, we want to be attractive. We want the goodwill of unbelievers. We want them to want the lifestyle that Jesus has given us and worked in us through changing us to be more like his precious, lovely, wonderful son. Amen? Okay, so we see signs, we see wonders, we see provision, we see goodwill, and finally, we see growth. Each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. They all took part in the life of the church, and each day, people were being saved. Now, when it says the Lord added to the church, it doesn't mean that there's some kind of wispy, ethereal mm, plop, a new believer lands next to John Simmons on the front row. (laughs) It doesn't mean that sort of, you know, some kind of mystical adding to the church. It means that when the church did what they were supposed to do and lived like they were supposed to live, God saved people into his kingdom. We can't save anyone. So please don't say, I saved someone this week because you never did. Only God can save people through the conviction and power of his Holy Spirit. But he doesn't just do it in some plop kind of way. He works through us. We can't just sit back and have that attitude. Well, God will save the people he wants to save. He'll rescue the ones he wants to save. The Bible says God wants all people to come to the knowledge of the truth and know Jesus. That's his heart. He doesn't leave anyone out. No one is left out of God's kingdom if they want to come and make him Lord. And so we have a part to play in witnessing, convincing people about Jesus. And it says in John chapter 12, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. And so we, we lift him up We give him glory for the work of the cross in our lives because it's talking about the cross. And as we do that and we speak about that to others, he does the drawing to himself. Amen? Amen. So we do our part. He does his part. And what happens? Every day they see growth in the church. Wow. Every day. This was the normal experience of the New Testament church. They had an expectation that people would be saved on a regular basis, not just Sundays, not just through the leaders, but each day. So they must have, wait for it, all, say it, all have been involved in winning people to Jesus 
each day. <laughs> you beat me to it, whoever said that. Thank you. So, who wants to be part of a church like that? It's supposed to be all of you, actually. <laughs> each day, all of you, each day. <laughs> Listen, wouldn't it be fantastic if we were seeing supernatural signs and wonders where we were all seeing this amazing provision of God through one another, where our lives were like magnets to attract people to Jesus, not to the church building, although it's great to have you here if you're visiting, and we love to have people here on a Sunday, but we want to attract people to his real church, the redeemed, blood-bought church of Jesus, where we're his sons and daughters, and we want other people to come and join us to be his sons and daughters too. Amen? Amen. Okay, well, listen, if you want to go on this exciting life adventure and you want to be part of all each day, then why don't you stand up and let's pray together? And I should say first, you know, there is an opportunity to come to Jesus today. You don't have to wait till tomorrow. You can come to him today if you've never, ever Uh, recognize the work that he did on the cross in dying to put right your sin, taking your sin on himself so that you could be uh, saved from that sin and brought near to God again so that you could know the Father and have him as Lord in your life, then you can pray that right today. And we should probably do that first. Can we have a prayer that we could be praying? Okay, look, we're all going to pray this prayer. And if you mean it and you've never prayed it before, I'm going to speak to you afterwards. But let's pray this together. It never does us, it's only going to do us good. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and I invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Oh, you can clap. It's a great prayer. And if you've never prayed that prayer before and you prayed it today, then uh, you can be bold and put your hand up now. No one's going to look. Everyone look at your feet right now, please. (laughs) Look at your feet. And I'll look up. And if anyone has just prayed that prayer for the first time, then I would love to speak to you afterwards. Okay, thank you. I'll come and speak to you. That's wonderful. Listen, heaven rejoices when someone gives their life to Jesus. It's a wonderful, precious thing. So let's pray for us. And do you know how I'd like to pray first? We're talking about signs and wonders, so really we ought to pray for anyone who wants any healing, didn't we? We should pray for anyone who wants some healing today. So if you've got a need in your life to be touched by something supernatural, I can't do anything, but Jesus is here, then why don't you just come to the front and we'll pray over your lives. If you need something amazing, whether it's healing or some other supernatural intervention in your life today, Come to the front, and we're going to pray for you before we pray for all of us. You're coming to the front as a sign to God that you're coming to him. You're not coming to me. I've got the same as the rest of you, the Holy Spirit, and uh, we're going to pray for you. Okay, so why don't you just uh, lift your hands to the Lord, and we'll pray for these people at the front here. Lord, I thank you that you are a miracle-working God. I thank you that you want to work through us, your body, in signs and wonders, just like you worked through uh, your own life when you were here on this earth. 
Lord, I thank you that you've given us the power of your Holy Spirit and you say that we'll do the same things as you. So right now we release that power in the precious name of Jesus over all of these people that are standing at the front here, Lord. We release your power over their lives, the power to change situations, the power to be healed, the power to uh, receive the miracle that they need from you, the provision, whatever it is, Lord, you see every heart stood here, Lord. You understand every need, Lord. And so we pray right now that you will come to everyone individually that's come forward and asked for prayer. And if you're part of our leadership team here and you want to come and pray for these people, please do. And then I'll just pray for the rest of us today. This is the bit where you all listen and then you all say amen, okay? Got it? Lord, we thank you again for the book of Acts. We thank you that Luke wrote down for us all that he saw happening, Lord. What a great, amazing testimony it is for us. And Lord, we want to experience the same things that the early church saw, the same things that the brand new church saw, saw, Lord. I pray you'll breathe on us today fresh life, Breathe on us, Lord, fresh life that we might have a a heart that earnestly wants to see you move among us like this, Lord. We want to be a church of the all and a church of the each day. We want to be that kind of church, Lord, where you move among us by your spirit, not just in this room, but Lord, out that door. We want to be on your mission. We want to be on your mission from two o'clock on Sunday right round till 10 o'clock next Sunday, Lord. And I just pray we'd have many testimonies, Lord, of where we've been able to speak to others to convince them of the truth of Jesus, where we've been able to pray with people or minister to them in the way that Jane was doing last week, Lord. I pray you'll stir up in us that desire, and I pray right now, Lord, as we lift our hands before you, that you will release your Holy Spirit upon us in a fresh way to be the church that you've called us to be. And everyone said, in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.